0: Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. Today, we're reading A Motor Night Errant by A. Maitland-Murray first published on the 11th of January, 1930. Reading the story is Friend Features Editor, Alex. Over to Alex.
1: It was pitch dark and driving wind and rain. Graham Thurston grunted audibly as he peered through the dripping windscreen of his car. His exclamation was a queer mixture of thankfulness and discontent. Thankfulness that his car was a cosy, closed in coupe. Discontent that his six month leave from Africa was fast drawing to a close. And not a confounded thing happened the whole time, he growled aloud. Talked about the whole country and not even the excitement of. of running over a blessed hen. "'Nothing ever happens in this bleak hemisphere, except this,' he finished savagely as a violent gust of wind spattered the windows. Suddenly, out of the darkness ahead, gleamed what appeared to be the red tail light of a car. Realising that he was fast overtaking it, he slowed down. The next moment a figure stepped full in the glare of his headlights, waving arresting arms. "'Good evening. Anything wrong?' Graham had now drawn up opposite what proved to be a stationary car. The whole world, a young fellow with a begrimed but laughing face, came forward. My chariot simply refuses to budge. And she's chosen a fine night for it, hasn't she? He finished with a sarcastic look at the offending vehicle. I wonder if I could... Graham hopped out and almost collided with the girl who had suddenly come out of the darkness into the zone of light. That's awfully good of you went on the strange young man gratefully. But I'm afraid... Oh, this is my sister, Claire. Name's Beveridge. I'm Stanley, although there's little of the on Stanley on tonight about me. My name's Thurston, Graham Thurston. Graham acknowledged the informal introduction, his eyes rudely glued to what he considered the prettiest girl he had ever had the luck to clap eyes upon. As she stood there in a glistening green leather coat dark eyes flashing and seeming defiance of the wind and rain that whipped her rosy cheeks. she literally ran riot over his heart and brain. It was only when he saw her eyes flicker in some slight confusion that he tore his gaze away. Now let's see. he strode over to the car. However, at the end of fifteen minutes, he realized that it was hopeless. He straightened up, wiping his hands. nothing forever to tell you, he decided. Have you a rope? Oh law, Stan Beveridge dropped on the running board with a groan. We haven't. Not even a bit to hang me with, and I need it. No rope? Graham gazed about him into the inhospitable night. Suddenly his eyes fell on the fence by the roadside. Never mind. Here goes. Necessity knows no law. With the aid of a pair of wire clippers from his toolbox, he deliberately cut twenty feet of wire from the fence. Fortunately, it was of the unbarbed type, consisting of five strands wound together, which is generally found by the side of rail embankments. In a few minutes, he had it in position between the two cars. Now, we're ready, he announced. Suddenly, the bold Graham, chancing a glance into the interior of the helpless car, conceived a master stroke. But, uh, Miss Beveridge, I think, since your car looks pretty sodden inside, having no windscreens, you'd be much cozier in mine. Besides, it only requires one to guide the wreck, he added with a twinkle in his eye that was just noticeable. That's the idea, Claire, her brother answered hurriedly for her. You hop into Mr Thurston's car. No good sticking two people into a waterlogged derelict. Once underway, the astute Graham determined to crawl along as slowly as possible. Even against his better judgement for driving, he kept the dashboard switch burning. In its tiny glow, he could see his companion's exquisite profile much better. Oh, much better. By the way, Miss Beveridge, he began brightly, if you're hungry and cold, there's everything in this cosy little ship to alleviate your distress. Cigarettes, if you smoke, in the rack above you, chocolate in that box, and hot coffee in a thermos under the seat. Really, Mr Thurston, one would almost think you'd come prepared to rescue someone. "'Oh, absolutely, I did,' agreed Graham airily. "'You see, I'm running around doing nothing at the moment. It's a sort of hobby of mine.' "'What is?' queried the other innocently. "'Doing nothing?' "'No, rescuing beauty in distress,' he replied boldly. "'And I must say, on this occasion, I have exceeded—' "'Oh, I, I, I hope we aren't hindering you too much,' she interrupted hastily. And with the tail of an ever-watchful eye, Graham saw the colour rush to her face to make her a thousand times prettier, he decided emphatically. "'Hindering me?' he echoed. "'I'd loiter about in a tornado if I thought—' "'Well, I won't tell you what I think,' he completed. "'But about this hobby of mine, you're really my first case, you know.' "'Oh.' It was a distinct little gasp. "'But I thought a hobby was a thing extending over years.' Quite, agreed Graham, but one must make a beginning sometime. And now, having reached the height of success in my hobby, the supreme triumph, I seriously consider. Are you not getting a bit mixed, Mr. Thurston, she smiled. How, since you have just started, can you have attained the height of success in your hobby? Easy, Graham blandly waved his hand above the wheel. One comes along in a dark night and sees a broken down car. Beside it, the prettiest girl on earth. Remember, the hobbyist is the sole judge of his hobby. With, say, charming dark eyes, dressed possibly in a dripping green leather coat, and, may I take some chocolate, Mr Thurston? The interruption was tinged with alarm, and not a little iciness. I'm so sorry, Graham was all apologies. Do you help yourself, Miss Beveridge? Now, as I was saying, we're getting near Lymington. she cut in rather hastily. There's a garage there where we can get patched up. I don't like Lymington, declared Graham emphatically, further reducing the speed of the car. In fact, I believe I feel so strongly about the place that I could compose a hymn of hate on the subject. However, despite his dislike of Lymington, that worthy village eventually embraced him. When the cars halted at the garage door, Claire hopped out to see how her brother had fared. The latter, having already disconnected the wire tow rope, was hurrying forward to the leading vehicle. I say, he began earnestly, that's been awfully decent of you, Mr Thurston. That was a long, stiff pull. Uh, lots of petrol. To say nothing of the huge chunk of salvage you've saved me. Uh, he motioned his sister out of earshot, and Claire obediently drifted towards the garage. Then he awkwardly produced his note case. You, uh, you must accept some... Here, I say, Graham started in alarm. I'm not taking... Nonsense, Stanley Beveridge held crinkly paper in his hand. I insist. After all, petrol and... and salvage, you really must... He made to place the contents of his hand upon the near seat. The next moment, Graham stamped on the accelerator and the big car shot forward. It was only when he had gone half a mile along the road that Graham realised to the full what he had done. Lord, but I'm a priceless idiot, he groaned aloud. But it was that idiotic brother of hers. Ever ready to help rich or poor, the beautiful or plain, Graham yet had a mortal dread of being recompensed in any way for his chivalry. And when gratitude took the form of an offer of money, he simply fled, as he had done tonight. And I can't even remember their car number, he muttered. I know nothing but her name. I don't know where she was going, and I never found out where she lived. Once they get that car fixed, she may go anywhere. And where am I to? And I can't go back now. Not with that maniac of a brother. Oh, you glorious 12 stones worth of mumbling idiots. He finished in vicious self-condemnation. Graham was exceedingly angry. Even his generally irrepressible nature was utterly swamped by the idea that he might never see Claire Beveridge again, and it looked ominously like it. He was nearing the end of his tour, gradually working his way south, making arrangements for accommodation from day to day by wire. Tonight, Friday, he was due at the county town of Cromley Manor, where he had booked a room at the county hotel. On the morrow, he moved on again and it was fantastic the hope that he would ever come across her on the road again. With a dismal groan, he sank lower in his seat. Then, with an effort to do something which would occupy his whole attention, he made the powerful car rock and sing on its last 12 miles to Cromley Manor. The following morning, after a very restless night of dreaming, in which he had frantically pursued a car containing Claire Beveridge over a maze of roadways, he strolled into the hotel garage with the intention of getting his car ready to resume his journey. He was barely inside when a policeman accosted him. NH-5227, that is your car, sir, began the officer formally. You are Mr. Graham Thurston, yes? Well, the garage proprietor admits he found this coiled up on your luggage grid last night. He held up the wire tow rope of the previous evening and Graham's heart sank. Uh, yes, yes, I suppose he would, he murmured guiltily. Quite, continued the other stolidly. It was reported to us late last night that the railway fence, seven miles east of Limington, had been maliciously cut and a considerable portion of wire removed. Suspecting cars, we questioned surrounding garages and the man at Limington reported seeing your car passing through the village with a length of wire coiled on the luggage grid dash it all, I, I had to do something, exclaimed Graham. If you'll tell me what's to pay, I'll gladly... I'm not here for that purpose, sir, explained the officer, civilly enough. I'm merely here to serve you with a summons for willful damage, he handed over a blue form. You can explain the circumstances to the magistrate at three o'clock this afternoon. Court is being held today, as there was a holiday on Monday. Three o'clock? burst out the exasperated Graham, but I'm pushing off now. I can't be bothered to wait until... Afraid you'll have to, corrected the other stiffly, or risk arrest, plus contempt of court. When the man in blue had taken his departure, Graham glowered moodily after him. He had heard about it, but never before had he seen it. The famous straw that broke the camel's back. But this was it with a vengeance. Not that he cared a row of pins about the court, that would only be a paltry fine, but the crushing irony of it all. After losing touch with the only girl he had ever given a second thought to, on account of his desire to escape reward for his action, he had now found himself being persecuted at law for that same action. As if it wasn't enough to... Graham stumped into the courthouse that afternoon, determined to be deliberately rude to all concerned. "'I find the charge proven!' It was half an hour later, and a big, broad-shouldered, grey-haired magistrate regarded him sternly. The circumstances, I admit, lessened to a great extent the gravity of your offence. Nevertheless, if such practice became fashionable, you will be fined ten shillings, with ten shillings' expenses. Ten minutes later, Graham descended the steps of the gloomy building, his spirits in very low water indeed. On the point of stepping off the pavement some fifty yards further along, the sharp scream of a motor klaxon halted him one foot in the gutter. He spun round and his eyes almost popped out of his head, and his heart out of its place. Mr. Thurston, this is a surprise. It was Claire Beveridge who hailed him. Miss Beveridge! Graham literally leapt to the side of her car. "I'm, I'm so pleased to see you again. Is that quite true, Mr. Thurston? She parried, dark eyes flashing mischievously up into his face. You seemed in rather a hurry to get away from me. From us, last night, anyhow. Oh, I'm awfully sorry if I appeared rude, stammered Graham, face Scarlet. But, well, I I mean, I simply had to... To dash off in a hurry? She supposed, demurely. Of course, we must have hindered you quite a lot, so I'll forgive you. By the way, I saw you coming out of the courthouse... What on earth were you doing there? Well, I, <laughs> Graham laughed awkwardly. It's so, so uh, amusing. I came along to have a look at some periodicals and wandered in there, thinking it was the public library. Dashed funny, isn't it? And he laughed again, one eye watching apprehensively for the effect of his tale. Yes, the place does look rather like a library with its stone pillars in front, she conceded with a sympathetic laugh. But Cromley Manor is a quaint old place in many ways. Are you staying here, Mr Thurston? It was a leading question, and the wily Graham didn't wish to commit himself in any way. He had once more found this bewitching, dark-eyed girl who had come to him out of the storm, and he wasn't letting her out of his sight again, not if he had to cling on to the light of her car. He decided, for the moment anyhow, to evade a direct reply. Well, as a matter of fact, he began and stopped, his innocent expression plainly inviting further enlightenment on her question. Because if you are, went on Claire, flopping unsuspectingly into the engineered gap, I was just thinking I could repay you in some little way for your kindness. We do owe you a lot, you know, Will you come to dinner with us tonight? Cranford House. It's just a mile up the hill from Lymington, A twenty minutes run from here. Absolutely delighted, Miss Beveridge, cried Graham. Thanks so much. Righto then, she smiled, letting in her clutch. I'll push off as I've some shopping to do. 7.30 or thereby. Bye-bye. Claire had said Cranford House was a twenty minutes run from Cromley Manor which meant that she neither knew Graham's car or the spirit which served the man behind the wheel. Graham Thurston's whole being was centered on the object of that night. Claire, with the soft shadowy eyes. Claire, the beautiful. Claire, Claire. He murmured the words softly to himself, his voice crooningly pitched to the steady hum of perfect engines that were fast, wrecking all calculations of time and distance. Ah, here you are. Claire herself, radiant in a deep flame-coloured dress of diaphanous tulle, welcomed him at the door of Crianford House, a huge red building, snuggling low to the warm earth in a thick pine wood, literally throbbing with hidden life. Well up to time, come and meet mums and dad. Quickly she ushered him into the drawing room, and there Graham's legs almost crumpled underneath his tall, heavily built figure the grey-haired gentleman who came forward to meet him was the magistrate whom he had faced not six hours previously. "'Good evening, Mr Thurston,' beamed the other, enjoying his visitor's blank expression with great good humour. "'A more pleasant meeting, eh? Not so expensive for you, anyhow. "'This is my wife, and you've met Stan, of course. "'We're not a very big party, and as far as I can see, "'not very evenly paired, but you can take Claire in to dinner.' Stan, you're the odd man out. And with that, the bluff Mr. Beveridge, an entirely different individual from the magistrate, led the way to the dining room. The dinner, as far as dinners go, was, Graham supposed, a huge success, but his mind was in far too big a swell to appreciate it. In a dazed sort of way, he heard and answered the conversation about him, heard Mr. Beveridge apologising profusely for finding him, pointing out that, while he knew full well from his name and number of his car that he was his son's and daughter's benefactor, he was compelled to do his duty when the police brought the matter up for him to deal with. Smart fellows, all the same, those county police, he opined, and he was sure Graham would agree with him. Graham did, with one eye on Claire and the other on the particular dish in front of him. He was desperate to get Claire alone. However, all things come to an end. Even the most endless dinner. Perhaps you'd like to see the grounds, Mr Thurston, suggested Mr Beveridge as they rose. It's a lovely moon, and they look rather charming in moonlight. Claire and Stan will take you round, if you excuse my staying in. Why certainly, Mr Beveridge, assented Graham, and inwardly bestowed a fervent blessing on Mr Beveridge's grey hairs. It's rather chilly outside tonight. Outside in the hall, with trembling hands, he assisted Claire into a cosy fur wrap, while the subtle perfume from her shadowy hair stirred in his nostrils like incense. Stanley, standing solemnly by, waited till the operation was complete, then drifted out with them onto the low-flagged terrace. Once clear of the house, Graham felt he had better command of the situation. "Er, Stanley, he began. Have you seen the new Marlowe Evans Magneto? It's a perfect marvel. There's one on my car, if you'd care to see it. Um, the car's at the bottom of the avenue. The very thing, exclaimed Stanley, who was more wedded to Magnetos than Moonlight. Let's go and haul it all to bits. Hey, what? You're not going yourself? Oh, all right, I'll go and turn its little inside out myself, if I may. Left alone with Claire, Graham gently slipped his arm through hers and led her unresisting away from the direction of the house. Let's walk down through those trees, Claire. He used her name quite unconsciously. I have got quite a lot to say to you. Oh? Claire's beautiful face lifted thoughtfully to the moon, then she laughed softly, as if at some thought. What about? Your hobby? Yes, that's precisely what I wanted to talk about, he answered but not quite in the flippant tone he had employed on the previous evening. Do you know, Claire, I could almost hug that policeman who had served me with the jolly old summons. Why? Claire's hand wandered up to her neck, ostensibly to arrange the collar of her wrap. Because if I hadn't been dragged into court, I'd have been away from Cromley Manor by lunchtime. Away south, he added. Then you wouldn't have lost a pound, she pointed out. No, but I'd have lost you probably for good, he went on, his voice changing in spite of himself. You know, I, I didn't even remember your car number. You knew nothing about where you lived, or or anything for that matter. But what of that? She essayed with a gay laugh that somehow felt short of its purpose. With your hobby always handy, you were almost sure, sooner or later, to rescue some other... Claire, he interrupted her swiftly, you're fooling me now, and well... I'm beyond the fooling stage. Claire, dear. Both unconsciously halted on soft turf, splashed with latticed moonlight, and his arm suddenly encircled her waist. Do you... Do you not understand? But... But why? Claire's voice came unreal, breathless. Why should it matter that you didn't see me again? Did you particularly want to see me? Want to see you, Claire? His arm tightened its hold, eyes riveted on her upturned face with its eyes now black and mysterious as night. There's no one on earth I've ever wanted to see more. I admit I was mad to leave you without finding out where you lived, but Stan, with his idiotic offer of money, scared the life out of me, and I did the first thing that came into my head without thinking. Ran. But I thought plenty afterwards when it was too late. Where could I seek you? Your car repaired, you might have gone, been going... Anywhere, besides, I didn't remember its number, and time was getting short, I leave for Africa in seven days, and Africa, oh Graham, with an impulsive cry, she suddenly clung to him. I never thought that- that you might be leaving the country. yes, i-i'm only on leave. gasped Graham, heart and head caught in a wild vortex of emotion, and dearest girlie, I want you before I go, want you because I love you passionately. "'Dearest Clare, will you? Will you?' His voice stuck in his throat. There was a dead silence while she lay still and speechless in his arms, only the faint tremor as of a sob disturbing her slim body. "'Clare,' he pleaded anxiously, "'is it that you don't care that way?' "'Care?' she flung back her head and both hands leapt up to caress his cheeks. "'Would I have done such a, a brazen thing if I didn't care?' Oh, Graham, can't you guess yet? But what did you do? He asked in wonder. I reported you to the police, she answered passionately, almost fiercely. No one would ever have known who cut the wire, but when you dashed off without telling me anything, I I phoned the county police when I got home, knowing they would stop you within the county. That meant court the next day, and I knew Daddy was on the bench, so... "'so I pretended to meet you accidentally outside. "'And you ask me if I care. "'Graham, dearest boy in all the world. "'But you're so blind. "'You, you dear little... "'Brazen hussy,' completed Gare "'with a happy laugh that choked oddly on tears. "'But you'll find your pound lying in the hotel "'when you get back. "'Thaddy was to send it there immediately after dinner. "'But you can keep the receipt you got in court "'as the price of... "'the dearest little wife on earth.' Graham interrupted her, and drew her closer than ever.
0: Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of The Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers. My name is Shirley Burnett. My branch is Leicester. The Odd Fellows is a friendly society in every way. It's helped during lockdown, during the pandemic, and even now, it is always on hand with a listening ear and friendly.
2: Hi, I'm John Bradley from Worcester District. I joined the Odd Fellows when I was 17 because they had a youth club and a football team which I wanted to be part of. I'm now in my 80s and I've enjoyed a lifetime of friendship and social activities and I'd recommend it to anybody.
0: If you've recently retired and need inspiration to find a new routine, take a look at what your local Oddfellows friendship group has to offer. The Oddfellows want to help you make the most out of your retirement with social events, group holidays, volunteering opportunities, and well-being support. To find out more about their retirement support, give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 or visit oddfellows.co.uk. It's time to start a new chapter of your life. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends, and we'll have that little chat about it. That was Alex, fabulously reading a Night*, errant, and Alex is also with us today. Hello, Alex. Hello. Also joining us is Fiction Team's Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello. And DC Thompson archivist, Barry. Hello, Barry. Hello. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Um, Alex, this Mm -hmm. is one that you flagged for me from our stint in the archives so I'm going to start with you and ask what was it about a motor night errant that made you want to feature it in the podcast?
1: I think I think I'm kind of drawn to anything that is about relationships at the time the romances I and mean, obviously we did loads of romances that's always kind of been our thing but anything that kind of feels uniquely of the time um or is a little bit and is a little bit kind of surprising in its depiction of romance at the time and this one has a quite unusual romance um it's a theme sometimes I know sometimes that they happen a bit quickly the romances in the mm-hmm. stories I think this one caught my eye for that reason the romance is, is quite an unusual it's quite an unusual handling of the romance between the two main characters plus the I couldn't resist the sort of the mentions of the cars and the descriptions of the cars um and the fact the guys on leave uh is obviously really kind of rooted in the time as well Mm -hmm. like the way they talk about the cars obviously has a real sense of the era which i think made it really appealing to me
0: are you quite into cars or just
2: no no no, no, (laughs) not really
1: really. just the kind of idea that this was i mean this was an age when like you know you didn't have to be a complete geek um to be into cars and there was a there was a massive difference i mean we've got two different cars in this and one of them's basically got a roof and one of them doesn't Mm -hmm. so that's that's, I think, when you know, kind of cars were simple enough that you could be excited. You know, to like different things. Oh, which one do life, you want? The one with a roof? With <laughs> a roof? <laughs> <laughs> which I just, yeah, which was just, which was just quite interesting that he comes along with a with a with a roof and saves a day. Oh, that's quite funny. <laughs> that. so I kinda,
0: I completely took that for granted. <clears throat> at how new the the car machinery and stuff would have been at this point, I guess.
1: Yeah, I don't really. I don't really know that. I don't know how long motorcars would have been plying the roads, or how many roads there would have been at this point. But um, it reminds me of sort of Wind in the Willows and Mister Toad and his <laughs> obsession with sports cars and all this kind of stuff, and some with roofs and some without, and some with. And at a, later, at a later point in the story, they the main character distracts the brother of the woman he's wooing by referring to a, a Magneto or something.
0: Yes. So I, because we tripped over this when we were recording yeah. it, and in that we had to check that we got it right because we didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, so I, I thought initially, just reading it, I was like, oh, is that one of those little like hood ornaments, like a little cap mm. on your car kind of thing? No, I Googled it. I From from the very little that I understood of the Google, I think it's basically a spark ignition.
2: Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah,
0: mm. Mm. yeah so ma- much. magnet, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, according to my colleague Molly, who has worked in a, a transport archive, oh. at this time, if you were to order a car, it would almost be like you take a catalogue and order up the bits you wanted. So did you want the the Marlow Evans Magneto to go with your Ford uh. starter? I don't know. I mean, I don't know cars, but apparently that's what they did. So you could have all these little companies who'd be feeding in yeah. to this one,
1: one thing.
0: Well, there you go. That's pretty mm. cool.
1: That's pretty boutique. So you could get yep. the car that was a the bit so you could yeah here's my
0: custom car with a spark <laughs> ignition <laughs> but just
2: to answer alex's sort of a question about motoring at that time um the motor car had been around for a good while by this point i do seem to recall i've got this fact in my head and i don't know why it's still there but apparently the first pedestrian killed by a car was in the 1890s i think it was 1896 <laughs> um and i don't know why I focus on this particular <laughs> stat but um i can tell you that um round about this point, this is 1930 uh, there were roughly 1 million cars on the road and that rose to 2 million by the end of that decade, so roughly if my maths is anywhere near adequate, (laughs) roughly 2% of the population owned a car Wow and if you want any more gruesome stats I can (laughs) tell you the motor cars in uh, in this era sorry, this would be 1934, I've got the stats for this Motorcars killed 7,343 <laughs> people in 1934 and half of them were pedestrians. I have no idea why I have fixated on this, but <laughs> it just seems like an interesting no, story. No,
0: how, how, how many people were killed by cars? So,
2: but that was... A, I, and I, actually, I can tell you why I, I focused on this because at the very beginning of this story, I thought he was going to knock down Claire. Oh. There was this really abrupt end to, this, to a sentence where he's... If I can just find this, it's quite near the beginning. Yeah. Um, Suddenly, out of the darkness ahead, gleamed what appeared to be the red taillight of a car. Realising that he was fast overtaking it, he slowed down. The next moment, a figure stepped full in the glare of his headlights, waving arresting arms. And I thought, oh, oh he's going he's gonna to squish her. Mm. But no, <laughs> no, he wasn't going that fast. He was going fast by 1930 standards and therefore <laughs> able to stop in plenty of time. <laughs>
0: I was just Googling um for sort of comparison. So what was it, a million cars on the road yeah. in the nineteen thirties. The number of cars in twenty twenty one in the UK is thirty-two million. Wow. Today. So well, not today, twenty twenty one, so last year. Just just as a comparison.
1: So nearly half of the population then, just about.
0: Yeah, I guess. Mm. Um
1: I kind of liked, I would have liked to have known how fast he was going. Whether it was actually possible, it was a hair-raising twenty-five miles an hour. That he was <laughs> ripping along that left. It,
0: it, it, it struck me as a bit of a boy racer, like as much yeah. as he could be a boy racer at the time. It seemed like
3: he quite liked um, speeding. About, but, but sorry, go on to. Two words down when I read this and those words were Ted Bundy. Because oh, yes. He seemed to be on a road trip where he wanted to happen upon people in distress. And he had a sort of picnic box with cigarettes, chocolate, and coffee. And go and help yourself, they're in there. I just found it a bit strange. It's not a road trip that you would you know, have, Heard of better ones.
2: I think you could be onto something there. <laughs> Apparently he was measuring the, the success of this holiday against the fact that he hadn't done anything not even running over a blessed hen. Yes, he's, that is, I'm uh, so glad
0: brought this up because I have literally also wrote. Graham is a bit of a serial killer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> creepy, creepy,
2: creepy. Yes. Can you imagine the TripAdvisor review? Didn't even kill a hen.
3: <laughs> so, so, so One star to... out of five. And he, he had a sharp pair of snips as well oh, to yeah. cut those wires. Right. Yeah. I thought, what you know, and the way what else? he goes on about
0: his new hobby of yeah. saving damsels in distress yeah. and. Yeah, so he comes across as really, really strange. Yeah. Like, by any modern standards, you would run a mile. Mm. Um, and actually, I th- I thought, like, when you're reading it at first, that that's the impression she's getting as well, because every time he tries to, like, speak sweet to it, she, like, immediately changes the subject. It's so not that first,
2: sweet, though, is it? I mean, well, <laughs>
0: but, yeah, very uncomfortably. And she's like, uh, well, can I have that, co- that chocolate or whatever? And I thought, oh, here's a girl who, she's like, oh, no. i need need to practice my like (laughs) uh, fighting skills to get away from this but then no she's actually like falling in love with him or something because of course she is i'm not
2: hugely proud of this but in my notes uh, i'm sorry to say that when um he reaches in and says there's a hot coffee and a thermos under the seat i've actually in my notes got oh he's got two hot beverages in his car (laughs) i I am actually quite proud of that i'm not lying
0: (laughs) well done graham (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he's a, he's a strange, strange.
2: I think he means well, but um, in well, oh, don't, oh, don't
3: oh, they all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that won't stand up in court.
2: <laughs> well, well, it did. He got away with it. He got fined a quid <laughs> for, for harassment.
3: Yeah, it's all very dysfunctional, though, that she reported him to the police oh, I... as well, just to, I don't know, there's, I don't know. It just felt a bit creepy to me, Graham felt creepy
1: Mm, no just a bit when she's he mentions that um he's watching her and there's a light on the dash or something and he's watching her in the glow of the light Mm. and and it was her reaction but like you said it was her reaction to him that made me think that she was just she was just not into this and Uh he was but he didn't sense that boundary either like he didn't stop he just kept on with these (laughs) horrible little i don't know they came across quite okay quite lechy to be honest Mm. but then you just thought she was not she was just glad to get out and
0: but then turns out she's. But then it
1: turns out um, that's what was yeah done
0: something a bit equally stalkerish just to get,
1: just to get <laughs> maybe they meant yes, to be sir. together. Very <laughs> I
0: actually thought um, Claire had like a hint of a wicked sense of humor. Like mm. some of her dialogue and banter was like quite um, witty and quite quick and stuff. Like
2: at the end, yeah, just in general, oh, really? but
0: yeah, because she's like. Oh, you've been doing this hobby long, have you? She just sounded really sarcastic, and I quite liked that. Mm. And I just wish it had been sort of like done a bit more,
2: just to take that cringe factor out of it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, Yeah. because I think she had like a good, a good potential. Even I actually, I will give them that. The I actually really enjoyed the characters and the dialogue. I thought it was believable. I thought it was a hint of funny. Could have been funnier. Could have been a bit more sort of bantery, but you could definitely sense it. Um, I just wish this main character wasn't such a creep, yeah. and that they didn't end up together because it's kind of just teaching people being a creep works.
3: Yeah. And dearest girly, <laughs> I want you before I go. Oh,
0: yeah. What did what did you think of the um, the language? Of reading it, Alex, and. Did you, was it, because there there's some bits of it that are very, I don't know if people actually spoke like this at the time, but it feels Mm. like a very exaggerated sort of caricature version of how people would have spoke, like that kind of old radio English.
2: Yeah,
1: very much, yeah. I'm just trying to find some bits. It wasn't, to be honest, it's not one of the sort of chewier ones I've done. It wasn't like they wrapped around in endless kind of sub clauses and all this kind of stuff at least the sentences were fairly short so it was kind of easier to read but um yeah there were when you try and read the story and you think oh, i don't know how to say that i wouldn't it's, it feels so unnatural how mm-hmm. you would say it the bit where he goes about um uh, this, this is my sister Claire, name's Beveridge, I'm Stanley, that's fine. And he goes, oh, there's, there's little of the on Stanley on tonight about me, which I understand is a reference to Atkinson Stanley, I think the football club or something. I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure if he meant them or whether
2: he was talking about uh, Henry Morton Stanley. I wasn't Ooh. sure one way or the other. Well, I
1: don't know. I don't Both know, of
0: those go completely over my head. Like <laughs> I, I also didn't have a clue what that would have been getting at.
1: But there's just bits like, I don't know, just a bit further on that didn't feel... Maybe when you, maybe the writer as they were writing them thought that well that feels like completely natural dialogue, but maybe yeah. only to a person of a certain class in a certain age. But actually speaking, it felt very—I don't know—felt quite difficult, quite contrived. When you uh, were
2: reading, so when you were reading um, Stans <coughs> dialogue in particular. Did you actually have Hugh Laurie as Betty Wooster <laughs> in your head? Because I kept coming back to this. As, I mean, it, it was probably a, a trope by this point. But, you know, Woodhouse and uh, Dorothy L. Sayers all used this this idea of them these rich kids using sort of slang to connote this idea that people were being a bit more informal and they're a bit cooler and not as stuffy as. And you get, oh, Lord, that kind of stuff yeah. went on. I
0: yes. was wondering how, how that said. I was like, I wouldn't know how to say that. That's one of those where it's like, it's not, it's not like they're difficult words or like, like you say, hidden in some I just wouldn't know how to pull it off. It's all very like
3: old chap and dash Mm -hmm. it and and it's all very old English. It's quite funny. Exaggerated dialogue for slightly exaggerated characters, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, because I would hope that even at this point, no one would get in a car with a stranger and then, and then get with him the next day. It's well, all an was, exaggeration. She
2: was kind of pushed by her brother into this mm-hmm. car. And, you know, just to admit, it is worth noting that at the end, you know, she's fully on board with this. And what does she call him? Uh, Graham, dearest boy in all the world. I mean...
3: And she is then the dearest little wife on earth. But yes. not first she's a brazen, <laughs> <also>. <laughs> <Character> <laughs> <development>, <laughs> Yeah, will
2: Character development. Rapid character development, or or not. <laughs>
0: I love the um, the sort of British politeness of like the whole you know the plot is derailed because he can't cope with the fact that Stan's trying to give him money, so he just <laughs> hightails and drives off. I'm like, that oh was... no, don't put me in a in a. It's like British politeness, no, no you a... paid. No no, 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 you paid.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's actually quite accurate because we're so awkward as people.
1: <laughs> but that was mad, was I mean that was that was rude really what he did to to just drive off while the guy literally had his hand extended with the money so it was a dangerous
0: could have knocked his arm off
1: b exactly yeah be rude um and just like i don't know that was that was a that was a weird decision i mean by all means be a bit uncomfortable with it but there are there are i mean he's so verbose in every other way you think there'd be a way that he could talk his way out of that rather than leg it Mm -hmm. (laughs) as fast as he could in the car uh, yeah. One of the things I
2: find interesting, I know, I know, I, I keep doing this. Sorry, in the podcast, and it is, <laughs> I know it's not a visual medium, but I was intrigued by the the picture again. Mm-hmm. And what struck me was that they've pictured um, Claire sitting in a car when it's actually Graham who's meant to be this modern knight errant. Now this compares mm. to a, a story we've done previously in I think season two, um, something similar as a modern knight errant. Yes. Um, which was a complete misnomer because the guy didn't have a steed of any description. And in order to be a knight, I think you need to be—you um, have to have some kind of a steed. <laughs> and I was like, "That's strange. Why haven't they got him being his his chivalrous self doing his knightly duty in you know on, duty. on on You know, good grief. Um, but <laughs> I why just don't had-
0: his knightly duty being. Murdering people, Yes.
2: Yeah. of it. He didn't murder anybody yet. <laughs>
0: that we're aware of. That
2: we're aware of. Not even a chicken. But no, I just thought it was strange to have him standing and her sitting. You know, That's he, true. He, the whole point of the thing is he's, he's meant to be this knight. He's meant to be, you know, he'd be in a car of some description. Uh, and, and also the fact that this this particular still gives away part of the plot.
4: Which
0: yeah, because this, this really must be the like. scene where she turns up to the courthouse after he's yeah. just been done and um, to be like, oh, fancy seeing you here. Yeah, yeah,
2: so that's already undone. I also
0: wonder, actually, see when he's in the court and it's the judge is actually her dad, oh, I was thinking, would he not have realised, Like, oh, this judge is Judge Beveridge, I assume, but then did he maybe not know her last name at that point? No, but he didn't.
2: No, I think he knew he was Beveridge.
0: Um, why would he not just look her up then? But anyway,
2: <laughs> He's old school. He yeah. to get them in to the, get them in the boot first, apparently.
0: That's know. a good point about the illustration, though. I actually did quite like the the little plot reveal that she had orchestrated the whole being arrested thing. I thought that was um, quite... Again, you get these little hints of her humour and quickness and, and intelligence, stuff, and I just wish it had amounted more to the dearest little wife on earth. <laughs> As it so often does.
1: <laughs> it's quite rude about Lymington as well, which is actually, I don't know if he's there. I don't know if he means the actual place. I think it's somewhere in the southeast or something, somewhere down just south of London. Um, oh, is that
0: like Limington Spa? I don't that's, know. A place, yeah, that's a place, isn't it? That is
1: a place, yeah. I looked it up and I can't remember which county it was in, but I thought that was just quite brave and unnecessary i don't think we would ever write something in the friend don't today. go to
0: that garage that guy
1: yeah, yeah you wouldn't put that in a magazine <laughs> I, I, I you, took the the story. story like oh oh god oh, don't go to uh, and
2: right. i thought it was because it was, Newport, it was proximity he hated the place because it was next on on the road and it meant the end of the journey for claire
0: I, well uh, yeah i think that that's the reason why uh, but i think he was still getting it
1: Orden, I, don't, I yeah. don't know.
0: Yeah, you no, know, he was trying to delay. Here, he's like, "Oh no, don't go to that that one because that then you would have to leave my car, which
3: <laughs> <laughs> and my snacks as well." To be
2: fair,
0: <laughs> which is not you know uh, the out He's
2: come prepared. Ted
0: Bundy. Going going back to this this title though, because you're right, a Motor night errand. Um, and we had in season two a modern night errand. Um, what is there? What does this mean? Is there, is there a meaning to this? Like, wh- Why has it occurred twice? Is it, uh, I don't know what, me- what it
2: there good, means. There must be a good oh, at least 10 to 15 years between these yeah. titles from what I recall. And I don't think I really understood, because Alex, I think you were in that recording as well, Modern Knight Errant, and mm. it was where he, this chap chased a balloon over a common to find a girl. It was really implausible, <laughs> but really good fun. <laughs> but the part about him being a knight errant made no sense it didn't really sort of um, chime with anything else in the story no. um at least this kind of has a tale this guy's kind of roaming around kind of yeah. oh, there's no way of doing this without sort of Tracy <laughs> raising her <our> eyebrows but <laughs> he is roaming around looking to do good deeds
0: saving <laughs> unsuspected
2: sure yeah, let's say damsels. that let's say that
0: yeah <laughs> one of the things i i was uh Curious about what? What would he have been doing in Africa? What do do we have a guess of what military operation that is? Or oh, that
1: what, was my, uh, Yeah, that was my assumption. Yeah. Um, or school, know. some t- or university.
3: Sometimes, yeah. if you had a bit of money, you would be over there, oh, wouldn't true. you? Have to do something yeah, like yeah. that.
0: Just because he says he's on leave, which instantly makes you think, okay, yeah. military, military army. But yeah. I was just wondering what was going on at the time that might have put him in Africa.
2: I hadn't even thought of the, the military aspect, to be honest. I, mm. I just assumed it was, um, I don't know, running something really horrible like a diamond mine or, or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. And I guess if you were an expat across there, you would actually go and leave. You, wouldn't just, you couldn't just go home for the weekend. You'd yeah. have to take yeah. an extended period. Yeah, I'm not really sure. It doesn't really sort of narrow yeah, it, it down, know. does it? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a continent. Is that, I mean, it's not just—it's a country. <laughs> it's a big place. Oh, well.
0: just <laughs> just wondered what, what might have been... Going
2: on at the time, so the, mm. just I was just going to bring up the um, the author himself yes, because quite ask. often, um, especially this season, apparently um, we've been found wanting. There's been a lot of um, either pseudonyms or just people very hard to find. But this one was relatively easy: Alexander Maitland Murray, and he was a very well known. Uh, story writer did a lot of stuff with DC uh, yeah. DC Thomson and Lang Publications. Um, he had, a, I think, an ongoing series in Scots Magazine, which is uh, a bit of a surprise to mm. me. Something called Georgie McCulloch. So he, he did loads of stuff um, for our newspapers and magazines. Um, I don't know what else he did for the Friend, um, but he well, he died in 1945, age 49, very suddenly. Mm. Um, and then, weirdly, in a, in a way that sort of recalled um, William see Honeyman's death he was he's, he lived in Newport he was visiting the town and just very suddenly took ill so I don't know it's like this conspiracy start now right, so they
0: they both caught something in Newport well I mean the, the, the inference <laughs> Ted Bundy was in Newport
2: <laughs> but no he was a very um, very well thought of writer so I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking about. I was gonna change your perspective on yeah, this at all.
0: No, I was gonna ask. Do you think it's a man or a woman? Because I only knew that it was a Maitland Murray, so i was not sure. Obviously, a man because no woman <laughs> would write a story about getting into a strange man's car no. and being absolutely fine with it. Um, but I was wondering, were there many male writers back then? Was it quite an even split, or like?
2: it seemed to be? Yeah. Um, we already talked about this on. on the yeah, it's one of these things that's quite hard to, to quantify because, again, so many people had pseudonyms and yeah. so many you're just not sure. So for somebody like and Murray, people with a, a, high profile are easy to sort of pin down. Uh, Charles Garvis and, mm-hmm. and so on, but um, for a lot of them, that's no, I mean bear in mind as well that uh, Annie Swan had a, a male pseudonym as well, David Lyle. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you read these, you you kind of wonder, and I wonder what gives it away in the writing. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it because of this? Uh, is there a gender bias in there as a style of writing? What is it? One of the joys that this, uh, the, uh, the research that, uh, for this particular story threw up was obviously some amazingly sexist remarks from newspapers about female drivers. Because <laughs> I, I just wondered what the culture and how they were perceived at the time. Because it's obviously a fairly modern thing. This idea, you know, women drivers are, aren't they awful? I did wonder when did that start? Can I give you two of my favourites? Of, of, of course, please do. <laughs> Female drivers. Oh, no. This is, uh, I think the first one is from Dundee. This is is an evening telegraph. and and, uh, This is somebody who signs off safety first and all the time, which is a really catchy pseudonym. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a letter to the editor. Somebody's having a grumble about the 30 mile an hour uh, limit in built up areas. While I am at it, I have another grouse. This time against the female driver. Have you ever noticed how prone they are to drive on the crown of the road, no matter how wide it is, and often force the other driver to take all the risk? Keep to the left is evidently not a watchword of the female motorists. This, this is my favourite. So I didn't even favorite. know
3: what the crown of the road I was. I know. It's just, yeah. the thing, just
2: the middle. I think, just I,
3: say the middle then, Mr. <laughs> whatever your long name was. Maybe that's we'll why say, the
2: white lines got put in. He Who doesn't use his real name. No, no, say not no brave enough, not brave enough. Um, <laughs> this is from a Perthshire publication, which will remain nameless. Um, it's, it's a little article, and it's entitled Bra Bobbies. And it talks about a Glasgow firm that has received a contract for the supply of uniform for the police. And Mr. A.W. Brown Perth is to provide the gloves. It is to be hoped that female drivers will not forget the rules of the road in their admiration of our bra policemen. Oh my god. One can only hope.
0: That and was god. just so unnecessary. That came out of nowhere.
2: It was. Like, it was why, I thought it was gonna have something to do relevant? with the gloves. Yeah, well I think that was the driving gloves. Well, like, it was it was to do with the gloves because it was a Perthship film uh, firm and it was a Perthshire uh, newspaper. But then if you can just a crowbar in some sexes like, yeah, and yeah, totally really yeah.
0: that in <laughs> how bizarre. What were our favourite
3: moments of this story then? I mean, it was a genius idea about The Wire, I suppose. I would never have thought of that, of vandalising something beside a a railway line, but it seemed to work. But I think um, there was the attempt at a sort of um, charming humour, I think, was Mm -hmm. definitely there, and, you know, young, happening characters that were confident.
2: Two of my favourite things that I can go with this one. Um, There's a bit where... um, Graham is caught up in some what the writer calls vicious self condemnation, and when he's realised he's driven off and not got her number or doesn't know who she is or where she's going or the car number, and uh, he says to himself, "Oh, you glorious twelve stones worth of mumbling idiot! I have n- I've never heard vicious <laughs> self condemnation of the sort. I think that was that is hilarious,
3: fantastic, and it, you could change the words and it would apply I, for so many, yeah. so many people." He's not
0: particularly nice. Like Even when the police is um, like, uh, not arresting him, but serving him his court notice or whatever, and he's like, you have to get caught at three o'clock. And he's like, ugh, but I'm leaving. I can't be bothered to wait until so I'm like, I'm sorry. There, a policeman is asking you got caught. You can't just be like, ugh, do I have to?
2: I mean, good luck with the extradition from Africa, wherever yeah. in yeah. Africa you yeah. decided to land. Um, the other thing I, I did, did admire, actually, in, in terms of the writing was so Maitland-Murray's use of words towards the end. Uh, I, I Sometimes, maybe I'd give some writers too much credit for this, but I, I often think they put some effort and thought into the, the names and give them some meaning. And clear can mean clear or light, or clear de lune, you know, clear mm-hmm. moonlight. And if you look at the last few paragraphs, then number of times that moon... And Moonlight appears seven or eight times. It just Mm. recurs. So he's building towards something there. And the fact that she looms out of the dark, uh, she is this point of light in his life. So I thought that was nice.
0: Oh, aren't you poetic? That was very nice. (laughs) 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 That's very true. I never picked up on that. And I'm looking at it now.
1: It never really explains why she was did you ever get a sense of understanding why she was so coy in the car? Because you sense that she was, it was just self-preservation, right? Yeah. To start with, she's like, don't engage.
0: <laughs> don't look him in the eye, Don't look him in the eye, Don't answer He's questions. has got wire cutters. It's not, <laughs> let's not encourage him, it's that.
1: Yeah, it's, it feels um, like that. And then to suddenly turn around and she's, she's called the police because she's like, "Oh."
0: You don't ever get the impression from Claire that she does actually like him.
1: Certainly not, not Until either. she... Suddenly decides to admit really like it him. it and, yeah, yeah,
0: and
1: yeah. Then gets married. And that kind of blindsided me really but um but the story itself i thought was 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 pretty was pretty just bounced along yeah and it's thing. it's
0: hard to judge the individual stories for those kinds of endings and for those kind of romances because it was just literally all of them are like that so you mm. can't it mm. it doesn't work for our sort of modern mm. standards but to, to knock points off every single story because it's like oh she ends up with him and i don't think she should have done it's like not particularly fair i don't think
2: I mean, at this stage it's not a huge surprise it's more of a more of a surprise if they don't yeah and mm. I, I don't think that ever happens but i mean for the most mm. part we all know where it's leading it's the journey it's the fun bit
0: yeah I and i think as as plot goes this is quite a unique one it's quite an interesting way of getting there and i do think out of all some of the some of the love interest female characters that we have like I say I think Claire actually has a lot of potential she's, mm. you get a sense of a humour you yeah. get a sense of just something a bit more to her like a bit yeah. more of a depth do you yeah, know what I mean and a relationship with her brother and you get a bit more about her family um, I actually quite like the dynamic of her and her brother I thought he was quite funny as well
2: I like the fact that she subverted the law just to get her man yes. Yes. I mean use her family connections <laughs> lie to me? the police I mean good lord
4: she's, <laughs> she a, got... she's more
2: dangerous than him <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a follow-up story of this theater down the line it's a Bonnie and Clyde thing with a trusty savings banks of lent and bread <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's exactly, they just start traveling the country in the car kidnapping people yeah and
3: offering them cigarettes and chocolate and
0: coffee
2: <laughs> oh, don't pretend for a second you
0: <laughs> <gasps> that's their bit I I bet their bit is like they are stranded at the side of the road, and she pretends to be all like, "Oh, help us, help us!" and pulls a car over, and then they like see, murder them. <laughs> I don't know why we're turning the, we're turning <laughs> reading between the lines into a true crime podcast. Literally every story. That's like, where the listenership is. Just lean into it. <laughs> oh dear. In terms of the friend today, um, Tracy. How do you think this holds up? What would we do to it to make it
3: work for the friend? Is there a way to make it work? I think it would go back for a rewrite, a thorough rewrite, definitely. As you said, she wouldn't get in his car. I mean, <laughs> I suppose her brother is there, but um, I think we would have more backstory for the characters, without a doubt. The mysterious Africa being one. But um, yeah, I think mm, it's the, the bit of a, Caricature characters, really. I think for nowadays, so I don't know. I don't think he would come armed with cigarettes for one. Chocolate and coffee, yes. Not even a vape. would be allowed. Chocolate would be a bit
0: melty for a car. Yeah,
3: it? yeah. Perhaps just a some,
0: vape Did you just say?
3: Yeah, a healthy, <laughs> a healthy bar, oat bar, perhaps. But what no. is
0: what is the perfect car snack I for a long got, road trip?
3: Surely crisps because they don't melt. As long as you've got oh, some water,
0: gummy. Well, my partner who does all the driving. Likes gummy sweets because they give you a bit of a sugar boost. Boost.
1: Mints.
3: Mm, Mint. Min-
1: <laughs> like not just like. <laughs> no,
3: I thought you said mince. <laughs> <or> mince. Like, <laughs> okay, why not?
1: Just shovel shovelling in some <laughs> freshly ground beef as you. No, just like any. Well, we kind of it was. Mince. Well, I think is it Murray mints or something? Kind of butter mints is what we used to have okay. as when we were growing up. Um, always in the car or chocolate eclairs those are the things they take a bit of time something
3: yeah, that you can mm, yeah, yeah could then, pull your filling out though and
0: that's the yeah, danger that, you don't want yeah. to be driving I pulled a tooth out that. on yeah. a chocolate clay once oh, when I was younger yeah.
1: they do they're pretty hard work aren't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could just have a, a perfectly run
2: over fresh chicken that'd be nice <laughs> <laughs> clearly what game was angling for uh, <laughs> I, mean, I wonder why I still I'm still fixated it yeah. why why the chicken what was what have you got oh, against that you run over
3: head there was oh, uh, uh, Blood loss thing. Also, yeah. why would
0: that be exciting? I would oh, find no. that very stressful That's where they
2: start serial killers. With exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, 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 with, I'm Tracy, now she's convinced me.
0: <laughs> right, I think we're derailing a wee bit. So uh, <laughs> I think we'll move on to our five star ratings. And I will start with Barry. What would you give it out of five?
2: I will go three and a half. Are we allowed halves? I can never remember.
0: Yeah. You shouldn't, but I did, I, I, left, I think I let one of the episodes do it, so now I kind of have to stick to so it. So
2: now, now you've gone down that I've, line of fractions.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to I'm gonna go, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll go to Alex first. Oh, what a
1: cop
2: out.
0: <laughs> I know, I know I'll, I'll get to it. I just, I'm not sure.
1: Um, I'm going to go for a three, I think, because I'm going to, yeah, but I'm inclined to go for another three and a half. Like Barry, I'm going to go for a three. I'm not going to hold it against the story. You're right. We can't hold it against stories that marriage is the, is the final point, but it was just a switch from, I like the story, but the switch from her being a little bit nervous about him and seeming, and us being given no reason to believe that it was anything other than just like, oh, he's coming on a bit strong, to calling the police on him so that she can follow up was just a bit, was just a wee bit of a stretch for me. So, mm-hmm. but, but the rest of it just kind of bounced along pretty pleasantly. So it's a three from me.
3: Tracy? It's also a three mm-hmm. from me. Um, points knocked off for one. The wanting to run over a hen. (laughs) And it just did sound like the worst road trip ever, that you're just driving about waiting for people to be in harem or upset or distressed or cold. So you lose a point for that.
2: You're saying that's not chivalrous and not worthy of a knighthood.
0: (laughs) Um, Yes, I will go for a three also, because... Yeah, I quite liked the the elements of it, but Graham was just the biggest red flag in the history of red flags. To be on I, can't look, I can't look past it.
1: Is that, is that of the era as well, though? Do you guys think that it wouldn't have been that threatening? The only people in cars would have been...
0: I think people are a lot more trusting.
2: Yeah. The actual premise was she's getting into a dry, warm space mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. adequate snackage. <laughs> and possibly some sharp implements and puppies, who can tell. Um, that didn't seem too bad, but it was that that interchange between the two that just
3: Oh. I might get kidnapped, yes. to at least this stats. Least, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, would you least. say it like that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not
3: chocolate, I'll take the risk. Would you risk it for a biscuit, literally? <laughs> I suppose it wouldn't be, you'd be able to jump out the car because it wouldn't be going that fast. <laughs> Ten and miles an it wouldn't hour. be central locking
2: either. So no. actually. She could have walked alongside, let's be honest. Yeah.
0: No, I, you're right. It's probably like an incredible, I'm incredibly paranoid, and it's probably like a modern day, like we're Just constantly alert for sort of any danger. Whereas back then, like, were serial killers even a sort of all over the place? Do you know what I mean? Like, or like on everyone's minds, or maybe it's just me that's constantly with only prepared. I
2: mean, I'm gonna say with only a million cars on the road, I mean, it would narrow the suspects down yeah. considerably. No, that's I mean, true. not gonna yeah. be really like what did we say, two so, percent of the population mm. again, if you arithmetic, but if. Uh, if there was, if it was known that there would, uh, there was somebody from Africa roaming this, <laughs> yes. roaming the roads with a car, I'm looking for just victims, just lock
3: up your hands uh, oh, as well.
2: Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What sort right. of car do you drive? <laughs> a coupe.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> right, no, that's it. I'm ending it
0: there. I, I'm leaving it on that note. So, thank you alex for reading the story for us and tracy and barry for joining us and giving us that fantastic (laughs) fun (laughs) (laughs) and to you for listening all that's left from me to say is until this week of friends get together again for another story from the friend to you cheerio thanks again for joining us for this episode of reading between the lines Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and
4: Twitter. Hasty back! There's a dainty little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals still it stands without a peer It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end And is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend A charming little journal is the friend Of good things it is such a happy blend That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure. The friend to friends in trouble recommend. They won't be happy till they get the friend.